Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, thanks for spending, uh, spending part of your weekend here with us at Life Church. Uh, thanks for worshiping with us, especially if it's your first time with us. Whether you're here in person or if you're joining us online, we want to give you a big thanks for being here today uh, together. So my name is Taylor. Uh, we're on week two of a mini-series titled The Holy Spirit. Uh, and so in two weeks, you can't really get through a whole lot, and that's all we have. So this is our final week of this mini-series. But I want to bring everyone up to speed on where we were last week, bringing us into today, whether you're here with us or not. So last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit, obviously. There was a lot of different um, subject matters that we covered, but the big thing was this. To start off, we said there are things the Holy Spirit is and things the Holy Spirit is not. The big thing we said the Holy Spirit is not is the Holy Spirit is not just a power that you use for your own benefit or for the benefit of others, and the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, is the third person of the Trinity, the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is a person, we should learn what that relationship with him looks like. So often we forget or neglect that idea or that person of the Trinity, but we need to remember the importance because in the Old Testament, as we learn, the Holy Spirit dwelled with people, but now as believers and because of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, the Holy Spirit dwells within his people. The Holy Spirit is the very breath that sustains us right now. But for the believer, he indwells you. So we need to learn what this relationship is like. And so from where we were in the Old Testament to where we're at today, we have a God who loves us so much that he chose to send us his son who then sent us his Holy Spirit. And the big thing we have to remember is that we're, we're witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. That God will use us as the indwelling and he will let us witness to him and testify to Jesus Christ. They use the example of how it's like the Holy Spirit's standing over your shoulder and he's shining a light on Jesus. He does that for us. But now we know it's hard to witness sometimes to even people close to us because there's always a barrier. People will deny, people will be discouraged, people won't understand, not everybody's gonna say yes. But the point is you have a purpose to witness because the Holy Spirit is a witness to all things past, present, future. He's eternal. He is a person of God. And so this week we're going to transition now from knowing that we're to witness as believers and we're going to talk about how do you walk with him, the Holy Spirit. And so a couple things I think you'll see today, at least I hope that you see today. Number one is that the Holy Spirit being a person means that we have to understand he will call us to do things and our obedience to him matters. So I hope you see this theme of trust and obedience and responsiveness to the Holy Spirit as we read through the scriptures today. The other thing I hope that all of us see is that God is preparing someone's heart to hear or receive the message of the gospel, of salvation. But he's also preparing you to take that message to them. So I hope you see that theme within here because I think for us, if we're honest, there's a lot of barriers to getting there, though. I think one thing we, we miss out on is we make a lot of excuses as to why we can't or why it's challenging, and then we wonder why the Holy Spirit's not operating in our life, but we're not really devoting time to listening to him. So another big thing I want us to recognize would be, are we sitting and listening and following and obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit so God can do what only he can do through you? So as we look through these themes today, I want us to recognize that there's an importance for that, so we're going to land in Acts chapter 10, and if you've never read a whole chapter of the, book, uh, of the Bible, 
today. We're going to check that off your list. We're going to read all of Acts chapter 10, and we're going to segment it up into different sections. So, starting Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, first thing we need to understand is who Cornelius is, because this plays a big role in the entire story of Acts chapter 10, obviously. So if you go into history, one unique thing is, as you read scripture, a lot of time it looks like something happens, 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 happens. But through history, most people would agree that this event right here takes place roughly 10 years after Pentecost. Not an immediate thing, but there's significance to that. But the other thing we have to remember is regardless of whether it was 10 years or one day, Cornelius is a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. Big deal, right? Because we're, we're talking about the Holy Spirit moving, but here's a man, the Roman centurion, meaning he led Roman soldiers of the Roman Empire. There's a relationship barrier here. The Romans were the one who handed over Jesus to the Pharisees to say, crucify him, to lead him to his death. Now, knowing that about Cornelius, it says that he was a devout man, a God-fearing man, he and his entire household. Well, as we continue to read the story, we know that from the beginning here, Cornelius is not saved. Cornelius had not heard the gospel message yet, but he had an understanding of who God was. So this is where people debate about, well, how, how did he come to know God if he hadn't heard the gospel message? How could be, he be devout and fear God if he didn't hear the gospel and wasn't saved? Well, many, many theories, right? One is that he went through a conversion process that was offered uh, to people at the time where you could become Jewish, but you couldn't really become Jewish. Because if you're not purely bred, purely born as a Jew, you can't live as a Jew. But you could convert to the same ideas, the same principles, and same understandings of a Jew. So at the time, there's, there's this theory that, well, maybe he converted to become Jewish. Well, whether you agree with that or not, this is really what matters, and the text will go on to, to reveal this to us later. He knew of Jesus. He knew of Jesus' ministry. He knew of, from his baptism all the way to the death. He knew the story of Jesus and still chose to follow him, knowing the Romans put Jesus to the cross. They allowed the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders at the time to declare him a false messiah, right? So that's a little bit of history of what's happening here. But he has a limited understanding of God. He does not have the gospel. He is not saved. Therefore, he has not understanding of everything in totality of who Jesus is or what God's capable of doing. But what we do know is because of that faith and because of knowing as much as he could with the resources around him, 
that he and his family feared that God. So much so that it says that his prayer and his alms were presented before God as a memorial, devoted in his faith. But here's the problem. That's all good and well. He's a good person. Later we'll read he was actually liked by the Jewish nation, which is interesting. That's all good and well, but he's still a man who did not have the gospel message. The message of salvation had not reached him yet. And he still needs someone to share the gospel to be saved. He's still missing something, even though he was faithful. And then we see this vision. This vision is given to him. Now think about it for a second. You have this idea of who you think God is, the God that you're serving, whether you think you know everything or not, and you have the one and only time of a recorded vision for Cornelius, and he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt, that is God. I think his vision is sometimes our problem. You see, he wasn't seeking another vision to confirm the vision that he was given. We often in our faith today, we either over-sensationalize who the Holy Spirit is, or we under-sensationalize what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing. Meaning, how often in life do you think about this? If God gives us a vision or gives, puts someone on our heart, God, just show me again so I can make sure that this is of you and not of me. Just tell me again, I just want to make sure what I'm doing is right and aligns with you. We often over-sensationalize by seeking the signs and wonders only and the power of what the Holy Spirit can do rather than just trusting that if God told you to do something, you're supposed to do it. And seeking signs and wonders, you miss, you miss everything. On the other side, you under-sensationalize. There are people who are called cessationists that believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are mute, dead, void today. In this thought, what happens oftentimes is that people are like, well, the Holy Spirit, yeah, he was poured out, but all those gifts are done because the church is established, so I don't really have to worry because God's going to move on who he wants to move on anyway. So one area leads to seeking something that's not God. It's just the signs and the, and the evidence of God rather than God himself. And the other one says that, well, if God's just going to do it, then what's my role in it anyway? They're both very unhealthy trains of thought. Not that you have to sit right in the middle of those, but understand when you're seeking signs and wonders or you're thinking you don't have a role in this, you miss everything the Holy Spirit's trying to do through you as a Christian. The Holy Spirit's job is not to just perform the powers and the signs and the wonders. And he's not just going to do everything that he wants without you. You have a role. He dwells within you. So we need to understand what this is like. So we'll go in now, and Peter is going to have a vision. Uh, and we'll read about this starting in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. I can't read that, so i got to look back. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing that was taken, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, Peter's doing something here that we miss out on in our walk that I want to emphasize, I cannot emphasize enough. Where do we find Peter in this story? He's on a rooftop. He's alone, 
and he's spending time listening to God and he's praying to God. We won't do that. Peter's making himself available to the Holy Spirit. How many times have you been hungry though and you've fallen asleep and all you think about is food? Or if you've ever fasted, you ever done that? I've, I've done a fast where I didn't eat for days. All I could think about was food. This is more than just like thoughts of food. God's giving him a vision right where he's at, making himself available when he could have eaten instead. And God gives them this wild vision, which kind of defies everything for a Jewish man raised in a Jewish culture. But don't forget the spending time alone with God and being available to hear him speaking. Now, the vision. Let's talk about that for a second. The vision deals with the idea of being unclean, which for Jewish people was a very big deal. Now, now Peter, he's saved. He's, he's a follower. He's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. But all he knew growing up was Jewish laws and Jewish culture. And so God tells him, here's all these animals. Peter, kill and eat. And he was like, no, by no means would I do that, God. To me, this is comical. Why? Back in the beginning passages we read, where's Peter staying? He's staying with Simon the Tanner. He's staying with a man who is around dead animals, potentially unclean animals, and he's living with this man. He's dwelling with him right now. Pull, pull back for a second and think about this. How often when, when we get into a religious mentality or a, a black and white mentality of do this but don't do this, He's talking to God and he was like, I will not eat anything that makes me unclean. I never have. But I needed a place to say, so it's just, it's just a tanner. I know he's unclean, but like, that's fine. You know how often he would have had to purify himself if the tanner himself was unclean? Just to be in the same house as him? We make exceptions though in our faith and we say, well, this one, I know for sure I won't do that because that's bad. But this thing over here, like that's not as bad. Listen, it, it, it's all or nothing here though. We make excuses so often as to what we will and what we won't do based on what's easiest or makes most sense to us. And this vision didn't make any sense. For, for a Jewish man to be told by God who gave them the laws of purity and, and, the, and the food rights, he says, kill and eat, even the unclean. That's crazy. And then Peter, in typical Peter fashion, he was like, no, <laughs> no God. And God's like, and listen to this, the God of the universe, the God who created every one of us, the God who breathed the breath of life into his creation that sustains us, tells him, hey, listen, don't tell me what's clean and what's not. I'm telling you something right now. It doesn't contradict God. It contradicted Peter's train of thought. As we know, there's a reason God gave him this vision. There's a purpose behind this vision. But that's our typical response. When we don't understand what God is saying, we just put him in a box and say, well, that makes no sense. So there's no way I could ever see that happen. There's no way this thing could ever happen because that, that to me, it, it just, I can't put those thoughts together. Let me tell you, when you put God in a box, you're really just putting yourself in a box and God's gonna shake the box up and he's gonna say, well, you need to understand I'm trying to tell you to do something more. Amen. Don't put God in a box. We do it far too often. But it, again, typical Peter fashion. How many times does God have to tell him something? Three. Or he does something three times. There's this theme of three. He's had to, God had to tell him over and over and over, Peter, I need you to know this. Don't call 
things that are unclean, unclean, because I'm going to tell you what is and what is not. This is where we see ourselves in Peter's vision, though. Our problem today, this is maybe just me, our problem today isn't that we're telling God no too much, it's that we're not even sitting and listening in the first place. We're not actually sitting down and listening to what he even has to say to us. We're not spending time in his word. We're not praying. We're not devoting quiet time to sitting and listening to God. So we can't even say no. We miss everything. But here's Peter. He told God, no, I wouldn't do that. But God's already preparing him because he's already got him staying with someone who's unclean. It's right in front of him. And more unfolds with this idea of Jew and Gentile being uh, united, this idea of clean and unclean. But Peter, who's saved... Peter, who was indwelled by the Holy Spirit, is confused. And God's not going to use Peter because he's perfect. God's not going to use Peter because he interpreted the vision correct. God's going to use Peter because he was open, he was available, and he was willing to obey God, and even through his confusion, would do what God told him to do. We have to remember where Peter was and how relatable that is for us. Because we're going to find out the Holy Spirit was directly speaking to Peter and telling him to do something. He's going to tell him to get up. He's going to say to move. And if we don't get up and move, listen, if you don't get up and move, the danger is that there's someone God's preparing that's not going to hear the gospel. He's preparing someone for you because he's preparing you to share his message with them. The message of salvation. Cornelius had not heard the message of salvation. He had not heard the gospel. And God was preparing him in his heart. Sends Cornelius a vision, and he sends Peter a vision. And this is what happens now in verse 17. In verse 17 it says, Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The Holy Spirit said, you need to get up without hesitation and you need to go. In the middle of his, he says he's perplexed, he's confused, he's like, what? That vision doesn't make sense and you want me to go down and there's three men waiting? Oh, by the way, they're Gentiles and they're waiting outside for you? Listen, I'm going to use this analogy. Take it for what it is. It might apply to you. It might not. But the idea of when God tells you to do something, you don't have the option, but you make excuses. I'm guilty. So here, here's, here's my analogy. I'm helping uh, Rick Hall as a volunteer coach basketball in middle school. My favorite age group of kids of all time because they listen and they're motivated and they're, you know, they're not challenging at all. And I, I just remembered I wanted to make an impact on this community. Like I was a, a, a lost middle schooler, a lost high schooler, and I needed someone to invest in me. 
So I was like, well, if I can help out at all, I'd love to. Here's the thing. I love basketball. I absolutely love basketball. Everything about sports I love. But I played basketball from the age of two all the way up to like 18. And I loved it. I was active in it. I could get up and down the court. I could jump high. I could shoot. I could do all the fun things. In fact, this summer, I got invited uh, by some awesome young men to play basketball at the Y. Problem is, I was like 10 years older than all of them, and they can still get after it. Let me tell you, when you've been out of the game for a while, you get back in, even when I'm doing a drill for the middle schoolers, I look at Rick, I'm like, dude, that's all you. You can go ahead, you can fill in, and you can be the 10th man, because I need a break. Or when I'm running up and down the court at the Y with these young, these young men who are still active, I get home, I tell Erica this, this is my phrase, the blood don't flow right. I don't, I don't operate like I once did. I, I, I had an injury, you know, this is my excuse, okay? You don't have one, I do. I broke my hip, uh, I don't know, uh, seven, eight years ago, I don't remember what it was. So it discharged me from the military. So I have a fear of being in that much pain again or that injury causing something worse to happen later in life. I'm also just lazy and I don't really have a need to be good at basketball again, so I just ignore it. Yeah, thank you, uh, there's an excuse. But here's what I'll say. I can make excuses all day long as to why it's hard to move and why I'm in so much pain when I sit down on the couch and I get home and I can't stand up or it takes a lot of grunting just to pump my body up to stand. Everybody knows the grunt. like the, That's me. Now, I say all that because in our faith, right? When you're active, you're obedient, you're devoted, and you're listening, it's easy. When the Holy Spirit prompts you, when you feel, hey, this person needs to hear from you, as you're reading his word and you, and you see God's word moving and active, living, it's easy. Well, what about when you've been out of that for a while and God stirs you up and says you need to get up and go do something? It's a lot harder to get up and go do. Well, we've just made excuses because here's the deal. It's a commission. It's a command. We don't have an excuse. We don't get an excuse but we lie in an excuse and say, well, I can't. That doesn't make sense to me, God. Why would you call me to do this? You someone else. That, that uh-uh. It's called, I call it like spiritual rigidity, spiritual stiffness. Like when God calls you to get up, you're like, whew, I haven't done this in a while. Why do we let ourselves get there, though? Right? Like this is not the equivalent of basketball. It's just the analogy, right? Like, as a believer, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you don't get to choose if you want to read your Bible today. You don't get to choose if you want to witness to people. You must. You must be a devoted follower who walks daily, and not just daily, momentarily, every moment with God in obedience and surrender to God, even when you're perplexed about what he's calling you to do. Do we trust that he will provide? Do we trust that he has already paved the way? Do we trust that he's already prepared someone? Because let me tell you, God right now has prepared someone to hear the gospel message and he needs the messengers to go do what he's equipped you to do. We miss that because we won't even sit, we won't listen, we won't obey and we won't do what God's word commands us to do. But then this happens for Peter. So he's like, okay, it doesn't make sense. And then walk the three men sent by Cornelius, they're unclean and and the Holy Spirit tells him to bring them in. He brings them in as guests. Imagine a Jew and a Gentile being in the same home was a no-no. Unclean, defiled. Peter brought them in as guests. 
Not probably because he wanted to, but because God said to. And he opens up his home to these men. And he's like, I I just want to know why you came to me. Because I just had this crazy vision, and you're here. Well, remember, God is moving, and he's preparing the way. So now we get down into verse 23, the rest of verse 23. And it says, The next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So what I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man standing before me in bright clothing, instead Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius is sitting expecting that God was going to do what he promised he would do. And not only was he standing there, he wasn't by himself. The vision was to Cornelius to send men to come to him. It says he gathered everyone around him. Listen, Cornelius did not know the message of salvation was coming to them. He didn't know any of that. What he did know, within his own knowledge, was that God is going to do something and you need to be ready. Cornelius is standing there, unsaved, but trusting. And he knew that the message from God was not just for him. That other people needed to hear what was about to happen. With an expectant heart, he's awaiting and trusting and obeying in God. Remember last week we talked about uh, when the Pharisees and, and the apostles were together, and the apostles are standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're like, all right, listen, we can let these men go, and if it's of man, it'll all fall apart. But if this is of God, no one will ever be able to stop it. Cornelius' thoughts probably were, if, if it's God who I know, like there's nothing that can get in his way. But then there's Peter over here, the, the saved believer, who's got all these hesitations. And here's Cornelius, who's sent without hesitation. And then finally, once Peter recognized, then he came without hesitation. And here's both men together in the first interaction. Remember, Peter cut off a Roman soldier's ear. Peter had a temper. He had a lot of problems. He was known for being with Jesus. Think about this. Do you think that Peter and a Roman centurion would ever get along in a room? And oh, by the way, Peter's like, I shouldn't even be here. Peter falls down at his feet. Now, it says he worships him. This is improper. This is not what we should do. But let me remind you. Number one, Peter corrects him. He didn't know necessarily this idea of worshiping God and God alone. Not, not, 
I'm not saying he did or didn't. There's a lot of gray area here, but what I do know is that I personally, through the study, feel that the reason he fell down was probably because he watched God move. He was like, you are right before me just like God told me you would be. But he needed corrected because that's still not, we don't worship people, we worship God, God alone. And look what Peter says to the Roman who he's not supposed to associate with. He says, get up. I too am a man. That is not how they viewed one another. That's why Peter was like, I would never be unclean. I would never defile myself. But here he is, he's picking up a Roman centurion. He's like, get up. We're the same. We're the same. This idea of clean and unclean being together because God told him, don't tell me what is and what isn't. We have to remember as a, as a messenger or even as someone who's still preparing uh, their hearts to receive the, the gospel, God will not withhold the truth from someone who truly wants to hear it. He's going to open the eyes and the hearts of someone to the message of salvation. The question is, is he going to hear that through you? Are they going to hear that through you? When you're praying, it shouldn't be, God, what is it you're doing? It shouldn't be, is God using me right now? It should be, how are you using me and who is it for? We shouldn't question if God is moving. The question is, how, when, and where? Because he's operating in the life of the messengers. He brings Peter to the Roman centurion's house and everybody is standing around and listening. Going into verse 34 now, it says this. So Peter opened his mouth. Uh Uh-oh, Peter does that a lot. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. If not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Just like Cornelius realized, like this message that God's bringing isn't just about me. Here we see Peter saying, oh, this isn't about me either. I'm to bring something to them. As a believer, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you have something a non-believer does not have. They need it. You are chosen and called and commanded to share that with the lost. There's an urgency for us to get up and to move. And this is where the ideas that Peter had, that the perplexing ideas that this doesn't make sense, all break down. He's like, I now understand that this message is not just for me. 
It's not for these Jewish people. It's for everyone who would receive it. Last week, when we talked about the apostles before the Sanhedrin, what's one thing that Peter did and the apostles did before the Sanhedrin themselves? He proclaimed the gospel. And right here, he realized his entire purpose was not for more signs, was not for more wonders, was not to tell them that they've got to do something all on their own. The one thing Peter knew was that he was there to share the gospel message of salvation for everyone to hear. You're going to watch what happens now at the end of this chapter. Verse 36. Or sorry, excuse me, in verse 44. Verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared... Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I'm going to invite the worship team up now as well. The Holy Spirit, this matters. This story is huge. For every person in this room, for every believer who is not pure-blooded, born Jewish, because we are all Gentiles. Every single person in here Originally, this message had not spread to Gentiles yet. Now, many historians and different evidence says, well, maybe some of the Gentiles had received the outpouring of the Spirit, but this was where the gateway for the Gentiles receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place. From a Roman centurion who brought everyone around him to hear the message because God was preparing their hearts. The reason that Peter, look, look what Peter brought people with him. He didn't have to. He brought people with him also to bear witness. And they're like, whoa, they're receiving the same Holy Spirit that we receive. It's the same God for everyone who believes. And everyone there, their hearts were already prepared. They just needed to hear the message. They needed to hear the gospel that Jesus Christ did die for your sins. That everything that he did was true. You were a witness to it, in fact. What you saw from his baptism on, you know what happened. But to add to that, he did resurrect from the dead. He did ascend into the right hand of the Father. He is returning to be the judge that God appointed. He will forgive your sins. He declares the gospel for people who needed to hear it. Their hearts were prepared. And it wasn't until Peter was standing there listening and being open, he says, oh, that's what, that's what this is for. It's not about me. It's not about God using me and showing signs and wonders through me. It's about how, how is God using you to bring people to him? There's an urgency to get up and to move. This is what we have to remember today too. Walking by faith. Walk in the spirit. Walk with the spirit. If you try to do things on your own, you will not produce fruit. Without the Holy Spirit, the gospel could not be spread. You need to walk every moment in step with the Holy Spirit. The only way you can ever really do that is if you surrender control of you and give it to him. Your flesh withholds. It's natural. It's sinful. The Holy Spirit gave you new life. And if you walk in that if you walk with him, 
that relationship that's offered to you, think of the fruit that you'll see of the people around you. The people that you know need to hear the message. Think of today, right now. There could be someone sitting next to you. There could be someone in front of you. When you go eat at lunch, there could be someone there. When you go home with your family, there could be someone there. When you go to work, someone could come in. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. The point is this. If you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you're called by God, you're commanded by God, he's prepared you and is preparing you because someone else needs to hear the gospel message through you to be saved. So I have a challenge for us all, if we can. For, I mean, this is just seven days and I pray it would just become a lifestyle. Just for seven days. Can we sit for 30 minutes in silence? Don't do anything. Don't listen to worship music. Don't drive. Don't do any task. Spend time before and after reading the word and praying. Praying that God would reveal something to you. And listen, if you feel prompted in that time in the next seven days, in those 30 minutes, do something. Don't wait. The prompting doesn't mean, okay, put it on the, on the radar. That's a low priority. The prompting is you need to go do just, just sitting in silence. If, you, if you've got a spouse, take the kids from your partner. Let your partner have a little time alone. No, it's hard. Take turns. Prioritize this because I'm telling you, there's a world of people headed for hell. As a saved Christian, you have a gift to offer them. Open up opportunities in ways in which you're listening to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that people can come to know who Jesus is, accept him as their, as their savior, and they can dwell eternally as well with God. Can you do that with me, church? Can we, can we challenge ourselves? If you've got to wake up early, whatever it is, just sit and listen. Make yourself available and open to say, I'm going to make time for you, God. So will you please stand so I can pray for you? God, it's so hard sometimes to know what we're doing. A lot of times it doesn't make sense to us. A lot of times we try to do too much without listening to you. I pray that this week that you would give us a healthy conviction to just sit and listen, to respond to your call, to be obedient and to be faithful to your word. Let us be mindful of who you are, God. Holy Spirit, illuminate scripture to us this week as we read. Show us the importance of what it is we're here to do and who it's for. It's not a matter of if, God. It's a matter of when, and we know that. So bring that awareness to us. Bring that conviction to us. I pray that we can remember that your Holy Spirit dwells within the believer. You've already prepared us, and you're preparing someone else. And I pray that we would remember this as a church, that we would take that call to action and to not just say and not just think and not just feel, but to do. And all of it goes to your glory, God. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.